Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. This evening's reading is taken from Zephaniah 3, beginning to read at verse 1. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one, she accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are arrogant. They are treacherous men. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice. And every new day, he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. I have cut off nations. Their strongholds are demolished. I have left their streets deserted with no one passing through. Their cities are destroyed. No one will be left. No one at all. I said to the city, Surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her dwelling would not be cut off nor all my punishments come upon her, but they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Then will I purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. On that day, you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride." Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but I will leave within you the meek and humble who trust in the Lord, name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The sorrows for the appointed feasts I will remove from you. They are a burden and a reproach to you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame and gather those who have been scattered. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. 
I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. As we stand, let me lead us in a prayer. Father, we've just sung that you would take us as you find us with all our fears and our failures, that you would fill our lives. Father, we say we've given everything to follow you. And we want to believe in you and we want to trust you and we surrender everything to you. And we do pray now that as we come to your word that you would fill us by your spirit to understand and to know you and to love you and to serve you. And that the words which we find here in Zephaniah would encourage our hearts so that we might keep going and keep serving you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you said, please do turn back to Zephaniah chapter 3, page 946 in the Bible. Let me add my welcome to that of Paul's. Before my name is Peter Bramhall, Paul's colleague. I hope you've had a great day. I hope you've had a good week. I guess many of you are looking forward to a week of holidays. Maybe some of you are looking forward to a week of cheap holidays before the school holidays start anywhere else around the country. It does look, doesn't it, that Easter's going to be a great time for us. Uh, maybe you're on holiday, maybe you're looking forward to next weekend and all the amazing and wonderful things uh, that we're going to do. I don't know about you, but the world often seems like it's a great place, doesn't it? And the fun and the enjoyment and the excitement that we can have doing things. And yet even as we've uh, been meeting tonight and we're enjoying our time together tonight, we've uh, reflected on the fact that actually the world isn't always a great place. There is a bit of a mess in the world. And saying that's nothing startling, really, is it, to say that the world's in a bit of a mess. It's on the news all the time, in big ways and in small ways. And the news, which is not on the television news and in our own lives, often causes us to see that the world's in a mess. You know, we've seen on the, on the TV screens the world in turmoil with refugees fleeing warfare dying in their flight while there's many others who seek to cause destruction around the world. As we prayed before, we look back to what happened in Paris last year as one of the ringleaders was caught. And then as we, our minds have been taken to Istanbul and the terror attack there. And then there's many other people in the world who are worried about the politics of the world. And how the world seems unfair and unjust and they worry about what's happening. People are worried about our country. What's happening in Europe and what will happen with us in Europe. They're worried about what happens in the US. There's so much that we enjoy and yet things seem so uncertain and so shaky at times. And while we might worry about that world level, some of us just struggle in the day-to-day of everyday life. We enjoy some things and yet other times things seem to be ruined often by other people as they lie to us, as they use us, as they hurt us. Sometimes in small ways, sometimes in huge, tragic, evil ways. Many of us long to have those deep, meaningful relationships and friendships with people. People who are committed to our good and who work towards our good. And yet I guess many of you have known people who've let you down. Those who, the relationships you've had which have broken down. 
And many of us have become cynical with no trust of anyone in those situations. And we think, surely this is not what it's meant to be like. There's so much good, but often it's marred by other things. Well, into that situation, we come to Zephaniah 3. And as we've come to Zephaniah 3, and as we come here tonight, it's helped me this week as I've looked through this chapter. Now, helping me to try and make more sense of a world in which there is joy and happiness on the one hand, and yet seems to be marred in another ways. And the way Zephaniah does it is by pointing us to the day of the Lord. We've looked at that over the last few weeks as we've looked at Zephaniah. And we see that the day of the Lord ultimately will come when Jesus comes again. But Zephaniah 3 says three things about the day of the Lord. And the first thing it says is that the day of the Lord means destruction. The day of the Lord means destruction. Now Zephaniah has spoken of this reality right from the beginning of the book. You may remember how the whole book starts after Zephaniah introduces himself. And you flip back a page and you'll see verse 2 of chapter 1. Zephaniah says, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both men and animals. I will sweep away all the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. The wicked will only have heaps of rubble when I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. See, the declaration of the Lord is that everything will be swept away. And it's the same in Zephaniah chapter 3. Flick back across the page. Verse 8 of chapter 3. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day I will stand up to testify I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. You see, Zephaniah proclaims that the day of the Lord will be the day when God will judge the whole world for the wickedness and the evil in the world. A wickedness and evil which was even seen in his own people, the people of Judah. And yet also seen all around the world. Now chapter 3 in the first eight verses focus on God's privileged people, his own people. And he shows that they are the same really as everybody else around the world. We're told three things of these people in Jerusalem in verse 1. You see that they are a city of oppressors. They are oppressive to people. Now that is that she oppressed the vulnerable, those who are in, in need and should be cared for, they, they were being oppressed. It's not surprising when you read on in the chapter, is it? Do you remember what the leaders are like in verse 3? Her officials are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Verse 1, she is a city which is rebellious. That is, she rebels against the Lord, against God. You see, just look at verse 2. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. See, God's own people were turning away from God, refusing to come to God, even when he was near as the one who brought new justice every day. Turns away from him. Thirdly, in verse 1, she is defiled. That seems to have a much more of a religious element to it. These people are defiled religiously. 
And again, it's no surprise as we read on to what Zephaniah says, when the people who were tasked with speaking God's word to the people led them astray. See, that's verse four. Her prophets are arrogant. They are treacherous men. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. So these people were meant to speak the truth from God. And yet, if you read back in 2 Kings, you see they filled the temple of God with foreign idols. And they had male temple prostitution going on and even child sacrifice in the temple of God. They filled the land with violence because of their action. And so when the day of the Lord comes, verse 8, God says he will pour out his wrath. All who are arrogant and proud, all those who reject the Lord, will be destroyed. God will sort out the mess that the world is in on that day. You see, so the day of the Lord means destruction. Destruction for Jerusalem and for a world opposed to God. But it means far more than that too. We'll get to something far more extraordinary in a moment. But just before we get there, see that the day of the Lord also means renewal. The day of the Lord means destruction, but the day of the Lord means renewal. And we see this in verses 9 to 13. You see, in verse 9, something remarkable happens. After that terrible day, that day when destruction will come, when everyone is wiped out, there are some people left. And more than that, they are able to call in the name of the Lord. You see verse 9? Then I will purify the lips of the people, that all of them may call in the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. And verse 10 shows that these people come from all over the place. Verse 10, from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. You see, there's people left, people who call in the name of the Lord, and these people are not going to mess the world up again because God will rid them of all wrong and evil, of all who are proud and arrogant, of all those things which brought the judgment of God in the first place. You see, that's verse 11. On that day, you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. Those who are proud and arrogant will be taken away, be removed. And the only people left are in verse 12, the meek and the humble, those who trust in the name of the Lord. Now those who are seeking to live the way of the Lord will be left there. It reminds us of chapter 2 and verse 3. Do you remember, uh, we've seen that over the last few weeks. With the big call of 2 verse 3, to seek the Lord, you who are humble, who do what the Lord commands. You see, with those people, those who people who were seeking the Lord, who were humble, who were seeking to do God's way, live God's way, they are left. It seems that they were sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. They have come through that day. And more than that, verse 13, back across the page, if you've turned back. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their, in their mouths. Can you imagine what that kind of place would be like? Being in a place where you're never wondering whether what someone's told you was the truth or not. 
And so when someone tells you something, you won't be then work, playing it over in your mind thinking, was that really what they meant? Was there, is there a double meaning in what they said? Did they really mean what they said? We're not going to be trying to get behind people's words to get to the double meaning of what they said. And do you know that thing? When someone pays you a compliment, you're not then going to be thinking, did they really mean that? Or, or, or they, were they just trying to manipulate me into doing something for them? You see, there'll be no one who's trying to manipulate a situation for their own benefit by stretching the truth or spinning the truth or being economic with the truth. You see, wonderfully, everyone will tell the truth fully all the time. And the conclusion about the renewal that God will bring on that day, verse 13, they will eat and lie down and no one will make them afraid. This is an amazing picture, isn't it, of what happens after that day for those who are in God's place. A picture of safety and security. The humble of the Lord, those who are trusting in the Lord, will have all they need to eat and they'll be able to lie down and sleep at a wonderful, deep sleep with nothing to make them afraid. They won't lie down and then wake up at 3.15 in the morning and worrying about what's coming up on the day after. They're not then going to wake up at four o'clock worrying about the meeting which is happening at nine o'clock. There'll be no waking at 4.45 thinking, oh, why did I say that to the person before? I've messed things up again. Because this place will be wonderful and secure and beautiful place to be. You see, it's a picture of the new heavens and the new earth which comes after the day of the Lord when Jesus returns The day when the Lord will gather his elect and bring them to his place where he will dwell with them and they with him. A place of plenty and security. A place where there will be no fear and no enemies. The time when God will dwell with his people living with them. When he will wipe away every tear from their eye. When there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away and been destroyed. You see, the day of the Lord means renewal. And it will be wonderful. I wonder if you feel that joy and the delight that that day will bring, that future day, that day which is to come. But amazingly, that is not the best thing that this chapter says. You see, the day of the Lord will bring destruction, but it brings that renewal which is great. But the day of the Lord means rejoicing and being rejoiced over. You see what it begins in verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Well, can you see why you might want to rejoice in God? God's going to take away all the evil and the arrogance in this world, all the oppressive and defiled people are removed. God's going to gather his people and bring them to his place to be with him forever. And so no wonder then that we should rejoice. And just notice the way that the Zephaniah kind of piles the words up. That we should sing, we should shout aloud, we should be glad, we should rejoice in this time. So the words rejoice and glad I think could be translated rejoice and revel. Revel in this day because it is amazing. Revel in the good things that God has done for us. Revel in them because they're amazing. 
But verse 14 is not really looking backwards to what's being said. It really looks forward to what Zephaniah was about to say. In verse 15, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. They're extraordinary words, aren't they? God has taken away your punishment. He has turned back enemies. He, the Lord, is our king, so we need not fear. Indeed, people will say of Jerusalem, Jerusalem being shorthand for the people of God in verse 16, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. You see, we can celebrate, rejoice, revel in God for the remarkable things he has done for us, a rebellious people. We have no enemies. Our punishment, which we deserve for our rebellion against him, are taken away. God will now be our shield and our defender. And so we rejoice. But you see, even that's not the most remarkable thing these verses proclaim. I think the most remarkable, frankly outstanding verse comes in verse 17. Now this week as I've looked at this verse, I've been bowled over. And as we come to look at it now, I feel frankly inadequate to explain the wonderful truth it contains. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. We thought about it at the beginning. What a great truth for people like us who have messed up. God is with us. God is mighty to save us. And he has saved us. But it gets even better. Look look how it goes on to. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now in verse 14, we are told to sing, to shout, to be glad and rejoice about God. Well, as you come to verse 17... Those same words are used to say to describe what God does in relation to Christians who are here tonight. God takes great delight in you. And when I came to translate the verse, I, I translated it as God will revel over you with gladness. Christian here tonight, God will revel over you with gladness. Yahweh, the Lord, the King of Israel, the creator of heaven and earth, the judge of all, the holy and the righteous God will revel over you with gladness. You see, we might be glad and revel with all our heart for what God's done for us, but yet God does that for us, for those of us sitting here this evening. I wonder if you've had that feeling of when someone is interested in you or someone wants to spend time with you or someone who finds you attractive. It's a nice feeling, isn't it? It makes you, it kind of gives you a lift and makes you feel good. Well, how astonishing that God thinks that of you. He takes delight in you. God takes great delight in you. And verse 17, he will quiet you with his love. It's a tricky verse to translate, but I think it, it could be something like that, actually. God is quiet in his love over you. 
God is quiet and content in his love. He's satisfied in his love for us. And the one commentator says that this phrase shows that God sinks into a contemplative quietness in his love for sinners. As I think about that, I think of the times when I've sat next to my children's bed as they've slept and I've just watched them, just looked at them sleeping in bed and felt that love for them. And yet God, in a quietness, looks at us, feels a love for us. Is that not just frankly amazing? God is quiet over us. And then he rejoices again with singing over us. God is so enraptured with you, he delights over you with singing. Now as we delight to sing praises of God, so he sings over us. How extraordinary is that? That that's how God thinks of his people. You see, these verses are astonishing. This verse in particular is astonishing in many ways, it's bewildering. It seems incomprehensible. Now, we've seen that God is opposed to those people who are opposed to him, that he will judge them. We've seen in Zephaniah that the whole world is opposed to God. So how is it that there are people left who could be renewed, that God could delight over, that God could sing over, that God could be quiet in his love for, It seems an extraordinary thing that this could be describing people in this world. And as I was thinking over it in my mind this week, my mind turned to Luke 15. So turn there uh, now in the New Testament. Keep a finger in in Zephaniah, but turn back, turn it forward to Luke uh, 15, page 1049 in the Pew Bibles. Now Luke 15 is a a chapter about things which were lost and things which are then found. So there's a a lost sheep, a lost coin and a lost son. In each case someone is then looking for the thing that's lost and within each of these stories the thing which is lost is compared to a sinner. You see sinners, people who've rejected God and turned away from him are lost. They're like the lost things. And it's vividly explained in the, with the lost son. Verse 12, the lost son says to his father, give me my share of the inheritance. Really, he's saying, I want your stuff. I don't want to have anything to do with you, though. I actually want you dead. Let me live my life. And that's what the people in Zephaniah's time were doing. That's what people in our day are doing. But if you know anything of this chapter in Luke 15, you'll know that the lost things are searched for and they're found. Sinners are searched for and sinners are found. And when they're found, do you remember what happens? Each time there is rejoicing and there's a party. So look at verse 7, the the conclusion of uh, the lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And then in verse 10, after the coin is found and a a party is thrown, we're told something similar. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's a great, the great picture then is in the parable of the lost son. 
remember the son who realizes that he is a sinner and so he decides to return to the father and then in verse 22 the father runs to the son and says quick bring the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and so they began to celebrate they began to celebrate including the father who was leading the celebration including the father the one who was reveling in delight and gladness rejoicing over the son who had returned you see Luke 15 says that when a sinner repents there is a party a party in heaven now I I've got that before I think I've understood it before And yet, I don't think I've really ever understood the full depth of these verses. You see, when you read it in the light of Zephaniah, you see that God himself is rejoicing. And I think I've read these verses before, and I've heard of the angels having a party in heaven. And I think the angels having all this party in heaven, but God kind of sits almost on his throne looking a little bit disapproving. Kind of saying, oh, well, if you must, then they can come in. But can you see in verse 10 that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God? You see, I wonder, is it that actually it's the angels who are observing God himself rejoicing over a sinner who's come back? Delighting the fact that a sinner has turned to him. Our Father rejoicing over you when you turned back to him when you said I'm sorry for my sin I've realized I've messed up and God throws his arm around you and he revels in you he delights he is glad he rejoices he sings because you've come back to him in verses 22 to 27 of Luke it's the father who throws the party because the lost son is found The same is true for us. God initiates the celebration. He's part of the celebration. He is reckless in his love for us and the delight and rejoicing over us, over sinners who repent. Can you see the whole story fits into Zephaniah? We are people who are like the son who wanted God dead, who rebelled against God. We are those people who are rebellious who are defiled, who are oppressive. And yet God searched for us who were lost. He even sent his only son to the earth so that he might make his way to Jerusalem, so that he might die on the cross as we will remember next weekend, as we will remember as we take communion. The son who went willingly to go to the cross, knowing that he would bear there the wrath of God for all the rebellion of the world. And he would bear it in our place. So that all our sins can be taken away. So that all our punishments can be taken away. So that we might humble ourselves. So we might seek the Lord. So we might seek his ways. So that we might know the forgiveness of God. So that we might get through that day sheltered in the shadow of the cross. 
sheltered in the Lord Jesus so that when the day of the Lord comes, we will be those who are renewed and so that we are those people that God now rejoices over, delights over. And as we draw to a close, turn back to Zephaniah. Verse 17, the Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He, he does that by sending his son to die on the cross in your place. He searches for you. And when you return, he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you in his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I wonder, do you feel unloved? Maybe you feel that people don't really notice you. That you're not really special. Maybe you feel that people never really want to spend time with you. Maybe you feel like well, people never really ask me to anything. Maybe you feel lonely. Here are some of the most extraordinary words that you can hear. God himself delights in you. God delights in sinners who've humbled themselves to accept the salvation he offers. God delights in the meek and the humble. And God has done everything to bring you back. I guess there'll be some of us, uh, some of you sitting here tonight, and you've never actually humbled yourself before God, though. You might be one here tonight thinking, well, I've never really listened to what God says. I am like those people who've lived my life as if God didn't exist. I've rebelled against him. I've rejected him. You might be one who's sitting here thinking, well, actually, I realize that the day of the Lord means nothing more than destruction for me. But God stands and says, my son died. Humble yourself and come back to me. And as you do that, you will find blessing in your life. You will find a hope of heaven and I will delight in you. And when you humble yourself and ask God to forgive you, and as you take refuge in God, you can know the delight of a father who loves you and who gives everything for you. They're wonderful verses, aren't they? See, the day of the Lord means destruction, but it means far, far more than that. It means renewal. And wonderfully, it means rejoicing and being rejoiced over by God the Father. You see, in Jesus, the mess of the world will be made right. And that happens when he returns on the day of the Lord. Let me lead us in a prayer. Father, these are verses which are astounding and amazing. And Father, would you help us to really understand the depths of them? Would we understand more of the future that we have and the way in which we get through the day of the Lord as we take refuge in the Lord Jesus? Would you help us to know that that day means renewal when everything will be made new, when we will be made new, 
And would we be a people who rejoice in you, knowing that even better than that, that you rejoice over us and that you give us a name and a status beyond anything we could possibly have imagined. Father, may our hearts be full of thanks and praise. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.